0: I'm not crazy about technology, but I need it when I preach sometimes. Um, I'm not a yappy; just that you know. But uh, my eyes are getting, I need bigger text than just a sheet of, <laughs> so that's why I use my laptop. You know, as Bernard was just sharing about the waterfall, I oh, just lost it now. Um, I'm just reminded of, you know, I'm, I'm actually from uh, Zimbabwe. And uh, i don't know if you, everybody been here has been to Victoria Falls and uh, Victoria Falls is known as a place uh, the, as uh, the, the the name given the the name given to to it by the by the people indigenous people there it's called Mosio tunya which means the smoke that thunders um and you know, you do go there when you come there, even though you're not under the waterfall, that mist is so thick that you, you know, some people even get raincoats or umbrellas when you go because it's so thick of that mist. And, um, yeah, I'd rather, you know, sometimes I think moments like this, you know, if, if this is your view of church, it's just meeting here on a Sunday. It's like coming to that and just viewing the water from, from a distance. Yeah, you know, you'll get the experience. You'll, you'll feel something of wetness, but, it doesn't, you like walk away and you carry on with your life, but it doesn't actually change you. It doesn't transform you. And God is calling us to be under that waterfall, to experience him in the fullness. And so, but that's not what I want to share on this this morning. I felt I felt the word just having fruit and having lasting fruit um, that God is calling us to. And um, I'm reminded of that scripture in John 15 where Jesus is speaking. He says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. I don't know about you, how many times have you been in the shops where you buy some fruit and only to discover, you know, some of it, half of it's rotten. Have you ever had that experience? Like tomatoes or or especially potatoes. I don't know if you've noticed, you buy a pocket of potatoes and you get them and they're special. So you buy it and this big pocket actually is about this much that's actually good. So you think, well, that's why it was such a special, you know, that was the, the deal, and uh, so really, was it worth it, you know, kind of thing. But you know, I just, I'm just reminded that, you know, the fruit that we have in Jesus doesn't have a sell-by date. If we bear fruit in Him, it's lasting fruit, and He's called us to have lasting fruit, and uh, and so I want to encourage you. But having said that, I'm not going to talk about fruit per se. I'm actually going to talk about the absence of fruit. And uh, and so I want us to go to Matthew uh, 21 verse 18. I'm going to focus on this scripture this morning. And uh, it's quite a significant scripture. And I'm hoping that we can just expound upon it a little bit. But um, before I read it, can I just pray? Because I I feel there's some truth here in the spirit that I'm... Praying that the Holy Spirit will impart, and so Father, I thank you for your Word, that it's life-giving. That Lord, that you've given us everything to life and godliness, and your Word is there to 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 build us up in the faith. And so, Lord, I want to pray that this will not just be some impartation of information that will maybe make us feel good, but walk away unchanged and transformed lord but that you do transform us that you bring us from one degree of glory to the next and so i want to pray for that lord jesus these are not a bunch of good principles that we can take for our kit and our work but lord these are life-giving words and uh, and so we treat it like that and and so just come lord jesus and do what you need to do in us and through us come holy spirit in jesus name amen I never want this to be a TED Talk preach. <laughs> Have you heard TED Talks? No, uh, you know, I'm really praying that the Holy Spirit will just convict us. But let me go to Matthew 21. It says, now in the morning, as he returned to the city, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves. In Mark's Gospel, Mark 11, it says that it wasn't a season of figs. And he said to it, let no fruit grow on you ever again. Immediately the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did this fig tree wither away so soon? And so Jesus answered and said to them, Assuredly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to this fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, Be removed and cast into the sea, it will be done. And whatever things you ask, in prayer, believing you will receive. And um, now look at this this miracle that Jesus performs here. It's, it's, it's different to the other miracles. Have you ever noticed that? This is the only miracle that Jesus performs that's of a destructive nature. And uh, it's not a constructive one. It's one of degeneration. degeneration sorry, let me rephrase it, degenerative rather than regenerative. And uh, it's one of that, you know, because often when you, when you take all the miracles that Jesus did, let's take, for instance, healing the blind or the paralyzed, you know, the lame, or the give me another miracle. He did many. Uh, Turn water into wine. Everything was bringing order back into disorder. He was calling those things that are not as though they were. Okay, so it was, but this miracle is like I said, degenerative in, in nature. It was destructive in nature, and so this begs the question to me because I'm I'm the kind of guy that when I read something, I want to know, you know, I want to go deeper than just the surface level. But if you think of it, this fig tree, I mean, Jesus cursed the fig tree. Why was this such a big miracle? I mean, if you really think deeper. This fig tree is already under a curse. Since Adam fell, the world was under a curse. Ever thought about that? Since Adam fell, the world has been under a curse. In fact, Romans 8.20, it says, For the creation was subject to futility from that day, from when Adam sinned. So that includes that little fig tree. It was subject to death. One day that fig tree will die. So really, you know, what's what's the big deal? Yeah, I mean Jesus only really, basically, speeded up the process. Really, am I right? That's that's all he did. He speeded up the process of this victory dying. Instead of dying in let's say ten years or twenty or a hundred years' time, it died there. I can do that with an axe. Okay, given to the nature that Jesus did speak this, and that's what made it a miracle that he spoke the word, and it it withered. And so there was power. It was a miracle. I'm not taking away from that. But what I'm trying to say is, what makes this miracle so significant? Have you ever thought about that? Now, the reason I'm saying that is because, you know, the Bible talks that there were many miracles that Jesus did that wasn't even recorded. John, I think it's John twenty-one, twenty-five. It says they couldn't record all the miracles that Jesus had performed. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was a scribe, now, this is me thinking in my fleshly nature. If I was a scribe recording all the miracles that Jesus performed, this would probably be one of them that I wouldn't put on my list. <laughs> I'd just like leave it out. And the reason being, I would probably do that is because... Yeah, Jesus was showing a lot of emotions because he was hungry. You know, I don't know if you've ever heard the word hangry. My boys sometimes are hangry when they come home from school. They, um, they're hungry, obviously, and the emotions begin to reflect in their ways and uh, because they're hungry. And, uh, and so this is one of those moments where I probably would have left that scripture out because it just doesn't doesn't look like how Jesus would respond or, you know, that thing of a destructive nature, which happens all the time, but obviously through his word was a bit different, but I would have left that one out. That's just me, but uh, thank goodness I wasn't a scribe because we probably wouldn't have had the accurate word, but, um, but I was thinking about this because <clears throat> Jesus takes this moment and he says to the, when the disciples go, wow, Jesus, look 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 at the fig tree. And Jesus says, yes, if you had faith like this, you can do greater things. I mean, Jesus is using this as the wow moment to explain something of faith. Have you ever thought of that? He's using this. If it was me again in the flesh, I would use that moment when I raised Lazarus from the dead. Or when I calmed the seas, I would have said, okay, if you guys had faith like this. But just speaking to a tree and it withering, mm. But there's something significant here, and that's what I want to explain this this, this morning. And uh, why does Jesus do this? I want to talk about the prophetic nature of what Jesus is doing when he performs this miracle. This is something we've got to understand about Jesus. Jesus was fully man, and he was fully God. That's what theologians and all these men who study the word, they call it the... The hypostatic union of God, okay? He's both fully man and he's fully God. But yet, this is what I want to say. God uses both his humanity and his divinity to bring this miracle about. Now, I want to explain something because I want you to understand something. I want you to see something here. If you think of it, when I talk about Jesus' humanity in this miracle, what do you think that would be? For me, if I was looking at this miracle... Jesus was hungry. That's his humanity. Remember what scripture says. When he came down as man, he experienced everything you and I can experience. Why? So that he could sympathize with you and me. It says that he became, he wasn't before, he became the sympathizing high priest. Think of it. God, who's all-powerful, all-knowing, didn't understand pain. He didn't understand suffering. He came down as, this is partly the reason Jesus came, so he could identify with you. We've got amazing God. He so I want to know what you suffer. I want to know because when you go through it, I can go through it with you. I can understand what you're going through. And I'm going to be there. I'm going to be your interceding high priest, but not as someone who doesn't know, but as someone who experiences what you're experiencing. And so he does that. And so in this miracle, Jesus is hungry. And the other thing that I see in this miracle is Jesus is drawn to the to the tree because it says he saw it from afar and he's drawn to the leaves. Now I believe in this moment God didn't give him a divine knowledge to know that there wasn't fruit on this tree. I believe God left that out. Why do I say that? Because he was drawn to the tree thinking there would be fruit here. Now this, like I say, this is a prophetic thing that God is wanting to show us, and Jesus and God uses. Jesus' humanity he used the fact that he's hungry and he's wanting to find fruit and he's drawn to this tree because there's leaves and he finds nothing and he curses that tree. And, um, but why does God bring us through? Why did he, you know, God use Jesus' humanity to do this miracle? And it's the same reason God wants us to know he feels too. You know, this is something we've got to understand. Did you know God mourns? It's in scripture, he grieves, he's angry, he suffers long, he's patient, he loves, he hates, he detests. That's God's emotions. And this is nothing new. This is nothing new. Think of it. God did this with the Old Testament prophets. Think of Hosea. There was a man who was a prophet of the Lord and God says, Hosea... I want you to marry this woman. I want you to marry a practicing prostitute. Her name is Goma. Go marry her. He marries Goma. He takes her into his home. He cares for her. He loves her. But she still goes on practicing her trade. And she's, and, 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 and Hosea begins to feel the grief of this. He begins to feel the betrayal. He be, begins to feel you know, that, that thing of unfaithfulness. And God says... The reason I'm letting you do this is because I want you to understand that's how Israel has been with me. She's been worshiping other gods. She's been adulterous. She's been unfaithful to me. And so Hosea experiences this. He does it through another prophet. Who's it? Uh, Ezekiel. He says to Ezekiel, listen, I want you to lie on your left side for 360 days. Can you imagine that? Imagine lying on the the floor on your left side for 360 days. And he says, for each day that you're lying, you represent a year that Israel is going to be in captivity. And so, I mean, I can lie for two hours on my one side and I feel stiff and sore. Imagine 360 days. And then he, and, there, and then Ezekiel's finished. Okay, thank you, Lord. That one's done. He says, okay, now, Ezekiel, I want you to go on your right-hand side and lie 40 days on that side because that's how long Judah's going to be in captivity. And so he has to do that. I mean, imagine that. But God is in that moment. I'm telling you, Ezekiel must be feeling something in his bones. And God wants him to experience it. God wants him to feel that because that's how he's, he's feeling towards Israel and Judah. And so he's got someone that represents an understanding of God's heart. And um, then he goes to Ezekiel and he says, Ezekiel, I want you to make some bread. But with that bread, I want you to add dry human feces to that bread. And I want you to eat it. Can you imagine that? Ezekiel, and God says, the reason I want you to do that is because my people are going to be taken in captivity and they're going to be eating bread that is foreign to them. It's not a normal bread. Now, if I was Ezekiel, I probably would have said, God, Chirbata would do it. The Israelites don't know anything about Chirbata. Or I'll even, I'll even go to Seska, you know, but not that. And he had, does have this kind of argument with the Lord. Well, I don't say argument. This is like God, please, can you just change it? So God says, "Okay, I'll change the menu a little bit. Instead of human feces, you can use cow dung, okay? And he, and, he, and he makes bread with that. But can you imagine how this guy must have felt? And God's wanting him to feel. This is how I feel. You know, I think of Revelations where God says, "Whether you're neither hot nor cold, I'm going to spit you out my mouth." Now, I don't believe that's God going. I believe it's almost like that regurgitating. You know when you're eating something and you just don't like it? And I know as little kids, you got... I feel that's how God feels towards his church sometimes. It's like, that's how I'm feeling right now. I just want to puke it up. That's how I see the church in mediocrity. I just want to puke. I just want to vomit it up. And so, Ezekiel, I want you to know how that feels. Hey, hectic, huh? Hectic that God does that. So it still gets back to my point. I'm trying to build a case of why this victory is so important. Why is this such a wild miracle? Why is Jesus using this for great faith? And I want to say what this victory represents is what's important. With every other miracle that I see Jesus performing, it's always for an individual, like a blind man healing his sight, for a paralyzed man, for a leper, for the lame. He's healing a person. But this fig tree doesn't just represent a fig tree. It represents hypocrisy. This, hip, this fig tree represents from the creation of man when hypocrisy began. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned? What did they do? They heard God. and They said, let's cover ourselves. And what did they do? They used fig leaves. They sewed fig leaves together to cover up their nakedness. And so that's where hypocrisy started. You know, as we as Christians, when we come to the Lord, sometimes we we hear him coming. And instead of dealing with the sin, we cover it up. We just like to sow fig leaves. That's called hypocrisy. And so Jesus is speaking to that. He's speaking to the fig tree. He's speaking to Israel. He's speaking to the religious people of the day. He's speaking to the temple. He's speaking to everything that has a form of godliness. And he's saying, I detest it. You know, this is the thing with hypocrisy. Isaiah twenty-nine, thirteen 13. And this is what the Lord says about it. These people that draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me. See what hypocrisy is? You say one thing, but my heart's not there. My heart's not in love with you, Jesus. I'm, I'm doing it. You know, I want to say, I don't. This is the great thing: is I don't know most of you people here. So you might be a person that comes and goes, and but you know, there's no real commitment in your life. There's no real heart of God. I long after you. I want you. I'm here. I might be just. Oh, you know, I just want to feel good about myself today. So I'm going to come to church. God's saying He detests that. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to be hard here this, this morning, but I want to bring a reality of this, of what God is saying about hypocrisy. See, hypocrisy is, is more deceitful than, than other sins. See, hypocrisy covers up the sin. It makes you feel good, but it doesn't deal with the issue. And Jesus despised hypocrisy because of its deceitfulness. And he said this in Matthew 23, 27. He said to the Religious leaders, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. And now, come on, let's face it. We all, to a degree, have a sense of hypocrisy in us. Those things do come out now and then. We have to deal with them. You know, Jude... One twelve, it says they clouds without water. In Colossians two sixteen, they say shadows without substance. And then, verse twenty three, it says these things indeed have an appearance of wisdom, of self imposed religion, false humility, and neglect the body, which are of no value against the indulgences of the flesh. And like I say, what makes hypocrisy so bad is that it's deceptive. So I want to go to a scripture quickly. Uh, 1 John 1 verses 5 to 10. I want us to see something about hypocrisy, especially in the light of church. So let me read it. This is the message which you have heard from him and declared to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him... And walk in darkness we lie and do not practice the truth. Now that's a definition of hypocrisy, isn't it? But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, you have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Christ, sorry, of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. That again is hypocrisy, isn't it? And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we hate, so that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been to churches, and I've heard a lot of people say they don't like Christians, and they don't like church because it's full of hypocrites. Have you ever heard that? Well, I want to say that that may be true, but I want you to look at something deeper here. If that's always been your mindset. I don't like church because it's full of hypocrites. So I don't really like to hang around the Christians because they're they very hypocritical. I want to say this. As I read 1 John that we've just read now, one of the qualifications that you are in this church is that you are a sinner. Did you know that if you become a member of this church you had to at some point acknowledge that you were a sinner You had to come to that place that Jesus I need to receive you because I am a sinner. I need to receive your blood I need to receive your grace Because I have blown it. I've messed up. I've been living for myself. I'm going to hell, but I've received you and so I think we all got to understand that the church is filled with sinners. Okay. People who talk the talk, but don't walk the talk as hypocrites. Now that's different to just sinners. You see, everybody might be sinners, but not everybody is hypocrites. And as we've been reading John here, if you say, You're not a liar. Sorry, if you say you do not sin, you are a liar. That's the hypocrite. It's the ones that don't admit that they're sinners. That's what 1 John says. If you say I'm I'm not a sinner, you are a liar. But I want to say, so the church may have hypocrites, but not everybody in the church is hypocrites. Everybody in the church is sinners, but not everybody is hypocrites. Do Do you get it? Because the... The true Christian should come to that place where they acknowledge that they're sinners. And this is not a once-off. This is not at salvation alone. If you think repentance is me coming to Jesus just once-off, Jesus coming to my life, be my Lord and Savior, that's the end. Then I want to say to you that's also not true. Because as we've been reading John, he's saying we need to repent. We need to live in the light. We need to be constantly in the place of being discipled. Do you, you hear what John's saying? We are people of the light. So yes, the church is filled with sinners. We all acknowledge that. But it's not always filled with hypocrites. Especially not confessing, practicing believers. People that open their homes and their hearts. And they say, come speak into my life. Come witness with me. I know I'm, I'm, I'm messing up with my marriage. But you know what? Come and walk with me. Because I want to overcome this issue. And I've, I've had many people that I've sat with and we've dealt with and you know what because of that repentant heart because what is repentance it means change your mind metanoia change the mind change the way you're thinking some people don't know and so they need that impartation of a fellow brother who is living in the light with his marriage and he does know how to walk with his wife to show the other brother but you see that brother's got to be repentant say okay come speak into my life come let me deal with this what am i doing wrong what am i saying wrong with my wife what is causing this conflict between us? You see, that's living in the light. This person still has to acknowledge that he's sinning in his marriage, but it's, that in itself is not what God hates because he's living in repentance to that sin. Do you get it? He's not trying to cover up, uh, listen, sweetie, when we get to church, we don't, we got to smile, we got to look like we're in love. That's hypocrisy. Are you guys still with me? I'm, I'm just. Yeah, <laughs> I get passionate and sometimes I lose my place. And so church should be made up of confessing people. A church should be made up of people that are living repentantly day to day. Church is not filled with perfect people. Church is not filled with sinless people. So if that is your mind about church, I want to say get it out of your mind. That is not church. And yes, People that sin are not all hypocrites because they're dealing with that sin. They are lying. that scripture that John says that they're letting Christ wash over our sin by being in the church. It says that blood of Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Why? Because I'm open to being exposed to that, to deal with it. That's what repentance is. And so here, here lies the real hypocrisy. And I, I want to do this delicately and lovingly. But I don't know everybody here. I don't know how often you come to church. I don't know how often you belong to a church. Maybe you come here now and then. If you're bored, sunday got nothing to do. No, touring. I don't know. What's your fun here? Going to the kango. <laughs> I'm just trying to think. What else is there? I don't know. But anyway, there's lots of places to go there. I, I know. But... But the reality is, if you come to church and you see church as a add-on to your life, it's not your life. It's just an add-on to it. That, you know, going to communities and going to church and having people in your home is more of an inconvenience to your life. I want to challenge you lovingly. I want to, the reason I want to challenge you is not that you walk up walk away being cross with me afterwards is actually to get you to the point of realizing what Jesus feels. You see if that is your life that in itself is hypocrisy. Because you're not open to others coming and speaking into your life. You're not open to getting to know people so intimately that they see the warts on you, that they see the pimples, that they see the things that you don't always see, the blind spots. You ever, talk, you ever hear about the blind spots, the things you don't see? You see, when you open your homes, people can do that. And you open your heart, speak into me. I know I'm wrong. I know I'm doing this wrong. Come and help me because ultimately I want to be like Jesus. I don't want to have an appearance of, of, of righteousness. I want to be righteous. Think of that fig tree. Jesus came to the fig tree. It was just leaves. There was no fruit. And he's looking at you and he's looking at me. He's saying, is it just leaves? You hear, you smile, you look good, but actually you go home, you're a different person. That's hypocrisy. I'm not speaking into your life. I don't have input. You're not submitted to the leadership. You're not submitted to eldership who have to keep a watch over your soul. That's what the Bible says. Submit to them because they have to keep a watch over your soul. They have to look after you. You know, these men... God has entrusted to you to be shepherds of the flock. Jesus being the ultimate shepherd, he's the chief shepherd, but they are under shepherds, the Bible says. But every single one of them who are part of this membership, they have to give an account. The elders will give account, but they've got to know you, and you've got to open your heart and your homes to them. And not only the eldership, Paul says, submit one to another. And so I want to ask, when I say that, I want to say there's another tree. That's not the fig tree. There's another tree, being the tree of life, being Jesus. And you know, as I was looking at this scripture in Isaiah, you know, the tree of life is the total opposite to this fig tree that Jesus curses. It's Total inverse of that. And I look at Jesus, the tree of life of who he was was the antithesis of this victory that he curses. What do I mean by that? Well, what drew Jesus to the tree was the leaves. And often many people, people come to church because they see the glitz and the glamour. Hey, this church looks cool. They've got all the amazing worship things in line and they're doing everything and they've got the vibe and they're going. But there's no reality to those relationships. And people are often drawn to leaves because it looks from the outside, from afar, it looks good. And they're drawn to it. And I want to say, be careful of that. If you are drawn to the glitz and the glamour of church, be careful. Now look at Isaiah 53 verses 2. It says this. I'll give you that one. Okay, don't worry. Let me read it quickly. No, it's not serious. Isaiah 53 verse 2. It says, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. That was Jesus. There was no beauty in you and me that would desire the cross. Think of it. It says he was despised. There was no leaves on this tree. There was nothing attractive of that tree that would say, but can I say, that was the tree of life. There was just fruit on that tree. As Isaiah says, it was just fruit. And so God in himself had to bring us to this place where where we see the beauty of who he was. Because naturally, I would run from that tree. Naturally, you would run from that tree. Because that tree speaks of death. That I have to die to myself. I have to die to my pride. I have to die to my selfish works that thinks I can get there to God without going through that tree. And God brings us to a place where we're not drawn to the foliage and the leaves and the veneer, but we're drawn to the very person who is the essence of life. And he says, come to me, all you weary, and in me you'll find rest. And that is the tree. You know, Isaiah 11 says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. That beautiful picture. And you know, 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty 20 says, Jesus Christ became the first fruit for you and for me. He was the first fruit. And so as we receive Jesus into our lives, we begin to show a life of humility. We begin to show a submitted life, a life that says, Jesus, you Lord of my life, come have your way, come have your say. And yes, when I love you, I submit to the church, your body. And as I submit to them, I allow these people with their warts, with their faults, and I allow them to speak into my life. Because I know that in this, you're transforming me from glory to glory. And I will bear fruit because of it. Do you, do you get it? That's what Jesus is saying. And he's bringing us to a place that we can abide in him. I, I, I don't see how anybody can be part of a church or not part of a church and say they're of God. Or they they in God. This. Let's quickly go there. John 15 verses 4 to 5. Jesus speaking again. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit in itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me... You can do nothing. So I want to say that, man, I want to see every person here abiding in Jesus so that you can bear fruit. So can I take a moment and maybe just, let's just pray. I don't want, like I said, I don't want this just to be a message. But I don't want to presume everybody here has received Jesus as Lord and Savior. And by Lord and Savior, I mean that you've got an open heart, an open home, a submitted life that's willing to allow people to speak into you. Because God gives us the word, he gives us the Holy Spirit, but he also gives us fellow believers, fellow brothers and sisters that come alongside us to help us look more like Jesus. And so when you make him Lord and Savior of your life, you actually... By default, submit to his church. You come into his church. This, the Bible says, is his body. And so if you've never done that, can I just create an opportunity? you never given your life to Jesus. Today is the day. And as I've been sharing, maybe this is you. Today is the day. Jesus is saying, I want you to come. And like I said, it's not about your works. Your works are detestable before the Lord. Your filthy works. That's what Jesus says, our, our works are filthy rags before him. And maybe just as you thinking about this in your life, maybe all you've had is works, but you've never had a relationship with him that he could bear fruit in your life. I want to say, come to him today. Today is the day of salvation. And so if you've never made Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, can I ask that you put your hand up? Today is the day. Don't miss this opportunity. Jesus wants to bring life to you. Remember, he spoke death to the fig tree, but he speaks life to those who come to him.